Welcome to Reformed in Public. Please visit our show notes page at anchor.fm forward slash reformed in public. Today we continue with the reading of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This work is considered public domain. 2. The Vanity of the Creature That is the second lesson in Christ's school, which he teaches those whom he would make scholars in this art. The vanity of the creature. That whatever there is in the creature has an emptiness in it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, is the lesson that the wise man learned. The creature in itself can do us neither good nor hurt. It is all but as wind. There is nothing in the creature that is suitable for a gracious heart to feed upon for its good and happiness. My brethren, the reason why you have not got contentment in the things of the world is not because you have not got enough of them that is not the reason. But the reason is, because they are not things proportionable to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Many men think that when they are troubled and have not got contentment, it is because they have but a little in the world, and that if they had more, then they should be content. That is just as if a man were hungry, and to satisfy his craving stomach, he should gape and hold open his mouth to take in the wind, and then should think that the reason why he is not satisfied is because he has got is because he has not got enough of the wind. No, the reason is because the thing is not suitable to a craving stomach. Yet there is really the same madness in the world. The wind which make a man takes the wind which a man takes in by gaping will as soon satisfy a craving stomach ready to starve as all the comforts in the world can satisfy a soul who knows what true happiness means. You would be happy, and you seek after such and such comforts in the creature. Well, have you got them? Do you find your hearts satisfied as having the happiness that is suitable to you? No, no, it is not here. But you think it is because you lack such and such things, O poor deluded man. It is not because you have not got enough of it, but because it is not the thing that is proportionable to the immortal soul that God has given you. Why do you lay out money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Isaiah 55.2 Isaiah 55, You are mad people. You seek to satisfy your stomach with what with that which is not bread. You follow the wind. You will never have contentment. All creatures in the world say contentment is not in us. Riches say contentment is not in me. Pleasure says contentment is not in me. If you look for contentment in the creature, you will fail. No, contentment is higher. When you come into the school of Christ, Christ teaches you that there is a vanity in all things in the world, 
and the soul which, by coming into the school of Christ, by understanding the glorious mysteries of the gospel, comes to see the vanity of all things in the world, is the soul that comes to true contentment. I could give you an abundance of proverbs from heathens which show the vanity of all things in the world, and they did not learn the vanity of the creature in the right school. But when a soul comes into the school of Jesus Christ, and there comes to see vanity in all things in the world, then such a soul comes to have contentment. If you seek contentment elsewhere, like the unclean spirit, you seek for rest but find none. 3. A third lesson which Christ teaches a Christian when he comes into his school is this. He teaches him to understand that what is the one thing that is necessary, which he never understood before. You know what he said to Martha. O oh, Martha, thou cumberest thyself about many things, but there is one, necess- one thing necessary. Before the soul sought after this and that, but now it says, I see that it is not necessary for me to be rich, but it is necessary for me to make my peace with God. It is not necessary that I should live a pleasurable life in this world, but it is absolutely necessary that I should have pardon of my sin. It is not necessary that I should have honor and preferment, but it is necessary that I should have God as my portion and have my part in Jesus Christ. It is necessary that my soul should have should be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. The other things are pretty fine indeed, and I should be glad if God would give them would would give me them. A fine house and income, and clothes, and advancement for my wife and children. These are comfortable things, but they are not the necessary things. I may have these and yet perish forever. But the other is absolutely necessary. No matter how poor I am, I may have what is absolutely necessary. Thus, Christ instructs the soul. Many of you have had some thoughts about this that it is indeed necessary for you to provide for your souls, but when you come to Christ's school, Christ causes the fear of eternity to fall upon you, and causes such a real sight of the great things of eternity, and the absolute necessity of those things, that it possesses your heart with fear and takes you off from all other things in the world. It is said of Pomper of it, it is said of Pompey that when he was carrying corn to Rome at the time of dearth, he was in a great deal of danger from storms at sea. But he said, We must go on. It is necessary that Rome should be relieved, but it is not necessary that we should live. So, certainly, when the soul is once taken up with the things that are of absolute necessity, it will not be much troubled about other things. What are the things that disquiet us here, but some by matters in this world? It, and it is because our hearts are not taken up with the one absolutely necessary thing. 
Who are the men who are most discontented but idle persons, persons who have nothing to occupy their minds? Every little thing disquiets and discontents them, but in the case of a man who has business of great weight and consequence, if all things go well with his great business, which is in his head, he is not aware of meaner things in the family. On the other hand, a man who, who lies at home and has nothing to do finds fault with everything. So it is with the heart. When the heart of a man has nothing to do but to be busy about creature comforts, every little thing troubles him. But when the heart is taken up with the weighty things of eternity, with the great things of eternal life, the things of here below that disquieted it before are things now of no consequence to him in comparison with the other how things fall out here is not much regarded by him if the one thing that is necessary is provided for four the soul comes to understand in what relation it stands to the world by that I mean as follows, God comes to instruct the soul effectually through Christ by his Spirit, on what terms it lives here in the world, in what relation it stands. While I live in the world, my condition is to be but a pilgrim, a stranger, a traveler, and a soldier. Now, rightly to understand this, not only being taught it by rote, so that I can speak the words over. But when my soul is possessed with the consideration of this truth, that God has set me in this world, not as in my home, but as a mere stranger and pilgrim and a pilgrim who is traveling to another home, and that I am here a soldier in my warfare, I say a right understanding of this is a mighty help in, to contentment in whatever befalls one. For instance, when a man is at home, if things are not according to his desire, he will find fault and is not content. But if a man travels, perhaps he does not meet with conveniences as he desires. The servants in the house are not at his beck or are not as diligent as his own servants were, and his diet is not as at home, and his bed not as at home, yet this thought may moderate his spirit. I am a traveler, and I must not be finding fault. I am in another man's house, and it would be bad manners to find fault in someone else's house, even though things are not as much to my liking as at home. If a man meets with bad weather, he must be content. It is traveler's fare, we say. Both fair weather and foul are the common traveler's fare, and we must be content with it. Of course, if a man were at home and the rain poured into his house, he would regard it as an intolerable hardship, but when he is traveling, he is not so troubled about rain and storms. When you are at sea, though you have not as many things as you have at home, you are not troubled at all. You are contented. Why? Because you are at sea. You are not troubled when storms arise, and though many things are otherwise than you would have them at home, you are still quieted with the fact that you are at sea. 
When sailors are at sea, they do not care what clothes they have, though they are pitched and tarred, and but a clout about their necks, and any old clothes. They think of when they come home, then they shall have their fine silk stockings and suits and lace bands and such things, and shall be very fine. So they are contented while away, with the thought that it shall be different when they come home, and though they have nothing but salt meat and a little hard fare, yet when they come to their houses, then they shall have anything. Thus it should be with us in, the wor in this world, for the truth is, we are all in this world, but as seafaring men, tossed up and down on the waves of the sea of this world, and our haven is heaven. Here we are traveling, and our home is a distant home in another world. Indeed, some men have better comforts than others in traveling, and it is truly a great mercy of God to us in England that we can travel with such delight and comfort, much more so than they can in other countries, and through God's mercy we have as great comforts in our traveling to heaven in England as in any place under heaven. Though we meet with travelers fair sometimes, yet it should not be grievous to us. The scripture tells us plainly that we must behave ourselves here as pilgrims and strangers. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.11 Consider what your condition is. You are pilgrims and strangers, so do not think to satisfy yourselves here. When a man comes into an inn and sees there a fair cupboard of plate, he is not troubled that it is not his own. Why? Because he is going away. So let us not be troubled when we see that other men have great wealth, but we have not. Why? We are going away to another country. You are, as it were, only lodging here for a night. If you were to live a hundred years in comparison to eternity, it is not as much as a night. It is as though you were traveling and had come to an inn. And what madness is it for a man to be discontented because he has not got what he sees? What, because he has not got what he sees there, seeing he may be going away again within less than a quarter of an hour. You find the same in David. This was the argument that took David's heart away from the things of, the world, of this world and set him on other things. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. Psalm 119.19 I am a stranger in the earth. What then? Then, Lord, let me have the knowledge of your commandments, and it is sufficient. As for the things of the earth, I do not set store by them, whether I have much or little. But hide not thy commandments from me. Lord, let me know the rule that I should guide my life by. Then again, we are not only travelers, but soldiers. This is the condition in which we are here, in this world, and therefore we ought to behave ourselves accordingly. The Apostle makes use of this argument in writing to Timothy. Though therefore 
Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3 The very thought of the condition of a soldier is enough to still his disquiet of heart. When he is away, he does not enjoy such comforts in his quarters as he has in his own home. Perhaps a man who had his bed and curtains drawn about him, and all comforts in his chamber, has now sometimes to lie on straw, and he thinks to himself, I am a soldier, and it is suitable to my condition. He must have his bed warmed at home, but he must lie out in the fields when he is a soldier, and the very thought of the condition in which he stands calms him in all things. Yes, and he goes rejoicing, to think that this is only suitable to the condition in which God has put him. So it should be with us in respect of this world. What an, unse- what an un- unseemly thing it would be to see a soldier go whining up and down with his finger in his eye, complaining that he does not have hot meat every meal, and his bed warmed as he did at home. Now Christians know that they are in their warfare. They are here in this world fighting and combating with enemies of their souls and their eternal warfare, and they must be willing to endure hardness here, a right understanding of this fact that God has put them into such a condition is what will make them content especially when they consider that they are certain of the victory and that are and that ere long they shall triumph with Jesus Christ then all their sorrows shall be done away and their tears wiped from their eyes a soldier is content to endure hardness though he does not know that he shall have the victory but a christian knows himself to be a soldier and knows that he shall conquer and triumph with jesus christ to all eternity and that is the fourth lesson that christ teaches the school the soul when he brings it to his school to learn the art of contentment and that is the fourth lesson that christ teaches the soul when he brings it to his school to learn the art of contentment he makes him understand thoroughly the relation in which he has placed him to this world five christ teaches us wherein consists any good that is to be enjoined sorry that is to be enjoyed in any creature in the world five Christ teaches us wherein consists any good that is to be enjoyed in any creature in the world. We have taught before that there is a vanity in the creature that is considered in in itself. Yet, though there is vanity in the creature in itself, in respect of satisfying the soul for its portion, yet there is some goodness in the creature, some desirableness. Now, wherein does this consist? It consists not in the nature of the creature itself, for that is nothing but vanity, but it consists in its reference to the first being of all things. This is a lesson that Christ teaches. If there is any good in wealth or in any comfort in this world, it is not so much that it pleases my sense or that it suits my body but that it has reference to God, the first being, 
that by these creatures somewhat of God's goodness might be conveyed to me, and I may have a sanctified use of the creature to draw me nearer to God, that I may enjoy more of God, and may be made more serviceable for his glory in the place where he has set me. This is the good of the creature. Oh, that we were only instructed in this lesson, and understood and thoroughly believed this. No creature in all the world has any goodness in it, any further than it has reference to the first infinite supreme good of all, that so far as I can enjoy it, that so far as I can enjoy God in it. So far it is good to me. No creature in all the world has any goodness in it any further than it has reference to the first infinite supreme good of all, that so far as I can enjoy God in it, so far it is good to me, and so far as I do not enjoy God in it, so far there is no goodness in any creature. How easy it would be if we really believed that to be contented. Suppose a man had great wealth only a few years ago, and now it is all gone. I would only ask this man, When you had your wealth, in what did you reckon the good of that wealth to consist? A carnal heart would say, Anybody might know that. It brought me in so much a year, and I could have the best fare and be a man of repute in the place where I live. And men regarded what I said. I might be clothed as I would, and lay up portions for my children. The good of my wealth consisted in this. Now such a man never came into the school of Christ to know in what the good of an estate consisted. So no marvel if he is disquieted when he has lost his estate. But when a Christian who has been in the school of Christ and has been instructed in the arts of contentment has some wealth, he thinks, In that I have wealth above my brethren, I have an opportunity to serve God the better, and I enjoy a great deal of God's mercy conveyed to my soul through the creature and hereby I am enabled to do a great deal of good. In this I reckon the good of my wealth. And now that God has taken this away from me, if he will be pleased to make up the enjoyment of himself some other way, will call me to honor him by suffering, and if I may do God as much service now by suffering, that is, by showing forth the grace of his Spirit in my sufferings, as I did in prosperity, I have as much of God as I had before. So, if I may be led to God in my low condition, as much as I was in my prosperous condition, I have as much comfort and contentment as I had before." Objection. You will say, it is true that if I could honor God in my low estate as much as in my prosperous estate, then it would be something. But how can that be? Answer. You must know that the special honor which God has from his creatures in this world is the manifestation of the graces of his spirit. It is true that God gets a great deal of honor when a man is in a public place and so is able to do 
a great deal of good, to countenance godliness and discountenance sin. But the main thing is in our showing forth virtues of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If I can say that through God's mercy in my affliction, I find the graces of God's Spirit working as strongly in me as ever they did when I had my wealth, I am where I was. Indeed, I am in quite as good a condition, for I have the same good now that I had in my prosperous estate. I reckoned the good of it only in my enjoyment of God and honoring of God, and now God has blessed the lack of it to stir up the graces of his Spirit in my soul. This is the work that God calls me to now. And I must consider God to be most honored when I do the work that he calls me to. He sets me to work in my prosperous estate, to honor him at the time, at that time in that condition. And now he sets me to work in and now he sets me to work to honor him at this time in this condition. God is most honored when I can turn from one condition to another according as he calls me to it. Would you account yourselves to be honored by your servants, if when you set them about a work that has some excellence, they will go on and on, and you cannot get them off from it? However good the work may be, yet if you call them off to another work, you expect them to manifest enough respect to you as to be content to come off from that, though they are set about a lesser work. If it is more useful to your ends, in the same way you were in a prosperous estate, and there God was calling you to some service that you took pleasure in. But suppose God said, I will use you in a suffering condition, and I will have you to honor me in that way. This is how you honor God, that you can turn this way or that way as God calls you to it. This, thus, having learned this, that the good of the creature consists in the enjoyment of God in it, and honoring of God by it, you can be content, because you have the same good that you had before, and that is the fifth lesson.